0: John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Let's bow and ask the Lord to help us tonight. I want to preach to you this evening on the subject moving from doubtful to doubtless. Let's pray. Father, help me as I preach this evening to be a blessing and a help and an encouragement to everyone here. I pray that those in this room who know you as Savior would be strengthened and encouraged by the message. And, Lord, I pray for those here who, who perhaps don't know you, who have never been saved. I pray that tonight they would accept you as their Savior and be born again. Lord, we believe that your word is true, and we thank you for it. And now, Lord, I just pray that in, in, in your name and for your glory, you would help us tonight. We stand in great need. Speak to us, I ask it, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to study a person in the Bible who is known as Doubting Thomas. How many of you are familiar with Doubting Thomas? You know, I'm so thankful for the disciples. I'm thankful for their character qualities. I'm thankful for their strengths. And I'm thankful for their weaknesses because they mirror us. And they may not mirror all of us one exactly, but at some point or another you 're going to have something you can relate with to every disciple and Thomas is one of those now i 'm a positive person i 'm a, a a upbeat kind of a person. I like to see the glass half full instead of half empty so i 'm not the kind of guy that that is too um, is too analytical i, I don 't think too much about. Uh, uh, deeply, I don't think too deeply about things, and, and that may be a weakness, and I, I'd confess it if it is. Uh, but I, I'm not real analytical. I, I kind of look at the problem for just a little bit and say, all right, let's move to the solution, when maybe a little bit more analysis of the problem needs to be had. And so uh, as I studied Thomas in my early Christian life, I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah this guy, is, he's got some issues. Uh, your Bibles are open to John 20. We're going to end up there. But I want us to look over at John 11, and then John 14, and then we'll come to John chapter 20. Let's look at John chapter 11. Can we do that? John chapter 11 in the Word of God. Now Thomas is speaking in this passage, and to be honest with you, this passage has a lot of strange things going on. Uh, Verse number 1 says, Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany. Uh, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby." Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard when he had heard therefore that he was sick he abode 2 days still in the same place where he was. Then after that then after that saith he to his disciples let us go into Judea again His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep... He shall do well, howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus. Does anybody know what Didymus means? It means the same thing as Thomas. It means twin. Some people believe that Thomas had a twin. It's very, very possible. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. There's just a lot of crazy things going on in this passage. I, I'm not going to read the whole passage because this is where I want to end up. But, but one of the crazy things is when Jesus receives word from Mary and Martha that, uh, that Lazarus is sick and his sickness is very serious, he doesn't go. He stays. That's a strange thing. Uh, it's a strange thing that he's saying here because he says, well, Lazarus is sleeping And one of the disciples says, well, if he's asleep, we'll do well. Then Jesus has to clarify and says, he's dead. And and, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. So if he's dead, what's the point of us going unto him? And then in verse 16, Thomas speaks up. Thomas, the twin. Thomas says unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I think Thomas is thinking, what in the world is going on? I think that a lot of the disciples felt like that much of the time. Jesus didn't always tell everybody what he was doing. In fact, much of the time, he didn't tell them what he was doing. And they were wondering, what in the world is happening? That may be the way you feel sometimes. And you say, what's going on here at church? And why does pastor do this? And why are we doing that? And why are we doing it now? And why are we doing it here? And what in the world is going on? And, and, and that's not because pastor probably doesn't know what's going on. It's, it's because uh, you know the Lord has all kinds of plans for this church. And sometimes it involves interruptions. Sometimes it involves spontaneity. Sometimes it involves a funeral. Sometimes it involves soul winning. Sometimes it involves a prayer meeting. Sometimes it involves an all out spiritual warfare. And all that combines. And, and it doesn't always work. Now, I'm for planning. I think we should plan. I think we should prepare. But the best plans and the best preparation can't help us deal with the unexpected or foresee the unexpected. And there's all kinds of unexpected things. Then Martha comes and she says, Jesus, if you'd been here a little sooner, then Lazarus wouldn't have died. And uh, and Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And, And he said, you'll see your brother again. And so there's Mary doesn't understand what's going on. Martha doesn't want to understand what's going on. But I want to focus on Thomas. Thomas says when Jesus says, well, I'm glad that he's dead because we can go to him. Thomas says, well, it's good that we'll go with him, that we'll die with him. Let's look at John 14. You kind of get a sense of a person by the words that they speak. Right. And Thomas is is skeptical. He's uncertain. Obviously, he's certain enough to follow Jesus, but he's gone through some uncertainty. Notice John chapter 14 and verse number 1. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled, ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Then, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, this is after Thomas had followed Jesus for a while. He said, we don't know where you're going. And you're going to prepare someplace. We don't, even, we don't know where you're going. How are we going to know the way? Thomas was the kind of guy, I think, that liked to figure things out. Don't you? I think he was the kind of guy that liked to ask a lot of questions. I called a guy this morning earlier. He had tried to call me last week and we were just not able to connect. And he said, I'm the guy that likes to ask a lot of questions. Ah, I said, you're the guy. I said, you're the guy that drives everybody crazy. He said, yeah, that's me. I like to ask all the questions. I like to figure it all out. And, uh, and, and Thomas was like that. He liked to figure it all out. And if it doesn't make sense, he's going to say, wait, 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 before we move any further. Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way if we don't even know where you're going? My family feels like that sometimes with me driving. And, uh, and my wife likes the GPS. How many of you ladies like the GPS? Uh, how many of you men don't like the GPS? Oh, I think it is. It's the it's kind of thing. I, I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with the GPS. Sometimes it gets me where I'm going in short order, and sometimes it takes me a around Robin Hood's barn, over the river, and through the woods. And boy, do I not like the GPS at that moment. And especially when I have to be pulling a 40-foot trailer. It's not a happy day when the GPS has led me astray. And so, you know, sometimes people, we feel like that when we're following the Lord. Lord, we don't know where you're going to go. So if we don't know where you're going to go, we can't even type it into our GPS. How do we know the way? Here's this Thomas. Thomas says, well, I'm glad that we can go to, to Lazarus. He's dead so we can all die. And here's Thomas, Lord, we don't know the way, and we don't know where you're going. Verse number 5, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the destination, and Jesus is the way. He's the destination, and He's the journey. He's the, he's the, the goal, and he's the way to get to that goal. Verse number seven, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me? Philip, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou, Then show us the Father. I don't think it was just Thomas that was struggling with uncertainty and doubt. Now let's turn to John chapter 20, shall we? John chapter 20 in the Word of God. I want to ask you, and I'd like you to input with me just now, what is it that sometimes causes doubt in our lives? I would just put this out. I believe the devil uses doubt. That's one of his great tools But I don't know that as I've lived and as I've experienced walking with the Lord and read and studied the Bible that all doubt is directly from the devil. He certainly can use it, but but where are some sources? What are some sources of doubt? It'll help us if we know that. What, What would you say? What are some sources of doubt? Who can tell me? Fear. We're afraid. We're afraid. We always are afraid of what we don't know, so we're afraid of the unknown. What are some other sources of doubt? Where does it come from? From other people. Sometimes other people can sow seeds of doubt in our lives, certainly. What else? What else is a source of doubt? Anxiety. Our own anxiety, our own fears of, of, of the unknown and fears of what we're not familiar with. What, someone said something else? Unbelief. unbelief sometimes unbelief. is just our own unbelief. And we have little faith or we have no faith. Uh, that's good. What, what are some other places that doubt comes from? Some negative critical spirit always kick cutting away at the foundation of the Word of God, cutting away, cutting away. Any other any other sources of doubt? I'm sorry? Past experiences. Yeah, past experiences. Maybe past experiences of, of sin. Maybe past experiences of hurt. And 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 we say, Well, you fool me once, shame on me. On you, fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not gonna be fooled again. I I'm not going through that again. And so we build up our walls and we, we have our we have our ways that we try to avoid those hurts and, and we say, No, I'm I'm not going that way again. Sometimes we doubt because we're very careful we want to make sure that everything is right. Sometimes we doubt because uh because uh, the devil is sowing that in our life. I was preaching some time ago in Wisconsin at a Bible camp, a good camp, a Christian camp. And there was a young lady there that was a counselor from a Christian college. And she met me at the door after the service and the kids were all pouring out of the chapel. And she said, thank you, Brother Dwight, for your message today. She said, lately I've been really struggling with the, the doubting the existence of God. And, and I just stood there Aghast for a moment. Now, now, I know better. I know that the devil's always trying to sow seeds of tares amongst the wheat. He's tra- always trying to sow seeds of doubt. But I thought, right here, of the audacity the arrogance, the haughtiness of the devil to come into this place, this Bible-believing Christian camp, and not just sow it amongst the young person. That's bad enough, and we know that goes on, but to sow it amongst a Christian counselor. And she's not just doubting whether this verse is... How did that add up to another? And what about this seems to contradict here? Whether she's doubting the existence of God. I said, boy, it just made me on high alert that the devil is, is alive and well. And doubt comes from a lot of different sources. And doubt maybe comes from our personality. Maybe somebody's personality is a little bit more prone to doubt because they like to have everything spelled out and they like to know how all of it lines up and they like to know uh, how the the pitfalls and they they like to have it all carefully laid out and planned and ordered. Hmm. I think Thomas had a lot of these things going on in his life. And I want us to look at John chapter 20. I want to draw your attention now to after Jesus had risen from the dead. And the Bible says in verse number 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Whew. These people are struggling with with fear, aren't they? Their doors are locked. They're afraid of the Jews. They're wondering who's going to be next to get his head lopped off or get his his body nailed to a, a cross. And he says, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. That had to be a wonderful meeting, wouldn't it? By the way, whenever you come to church, you ought to be saying, Lord Jesus, show yourself to me. Lord, manifest yourself. Let me see you in a clear vision, in a fresh way. Lord, in the midst of all of my struggles and doubts and plans and schemes and and, and difficulties and insecurities, Lord, help me to see you. Help me to see your hands and to examine your, your, your nail prints and to see your side. He showed him his hands and his side. And notice what the scripture says in verse number 20. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. There'll be joy when you see Jesus. There'll be gladness when you get a fresh glimpse and a fresh vision of Jesus. Verse 21, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you. Do you think they needed to hear it again? Oh yeah, Oh, they'd been through a gamut of emotions. They'd just seen their Savior who they thought would bring in the kingdom and weren't sure how that all was going to look. They just saw Him crucified on an old rugged cross and, and they'd heard the reports and they were afraid, Peace be unto you. By the way, Jesus is saying that right now. In the midst of a troubled, uncertain, confused world. In the midst of crazy culture. In the midst of a, a, a world that has lost its ever-loving mind. Jesus is saying, Peace be unto you. You don't need to let all of these troubles overwhelm you and overcome you. Peace be unto you. That's what he's saying tonight. Verse number 22, he's, 21, he says, peace be unto you. As my father hath sent me, even so send I you. All right, now, how did His Father send Him? He sent Him from heaven. He sent Him from a place of beauty. He sent Him from a place of comfort. I'm sending you out into this lost world, and I'm sending you with on a mission. Verse number 22, And when He had said this, He breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Notice the next verse, verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve... Called Didymus. I think the Lord wants us to know that he's called Didymus. I think there's something to this. I don't know all that's there, but but there's something to this name that means twin. Was not with them when Jesus came. Now, where was Thomas? We don't exactly know, but he wasn't with them. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Whoa. What a declaration. Makes me want to cry too. (laughs) Now watch watch what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to try to move from doubtful to doubtless. How do we do that? Well, first of all, I want you to notice that when these doubts come, answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Your doubts will not be calmed and answered and settled by your own analysis. They won't. I've been talking to a friend of mine lately who's going through a deep trial and some of it of his own making, but but very very much filled with fear, struggling, trying to make sense of this and trying to see how this is going to work out in the future. Listen to me, when doubts come, and if you're going to move from doubtful to doubtless. Right now, Thomas is in doubtful. He's in doubtful land. He's in doubtful territory. He, his, his life could take a, a sharp turn south. He could be in big trouble real quick. He could turn left and away from the Lord and abandon it all. And, and how, do we, how do we move from doubtful? From when times uh, approach us in our life and when troubles come in our experience where we're swirling with doubts. How do we move from doubtful to doubtless? Number one. You've got to answer every doubt from Scripture. This is not a time to abandon the scripture. This is not a time to set it aside. This is not a time to replace it. This is not a time for something to become equal with the scripture. Now is a time to go to the word of God. Go to the word of God. It's not going to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist that's going to help you. I'm not saying that's never appropriate. I'm just saying the reasoning of men and the reasoning of man is not going to solve your problems. Your own analysis is not going to settle your doubts. Uh, men's, Men's confusion is part of the problem, not part of the solution. And so when the doubts come, and they'll come. Uh, Again, I said I'm I'm more of a non-analytical kind of a a sanguine personality. I'm not really super, super deep in my thinking and my thought process. And so, you know, I'm super positive, but you know, doubts have come in my own life. Struggles have come in my own life. Do you think that the devil might use doubt as an arrow to come? One of his fiery darts is the dart of doubt. And he wants it to pierce through our armor. He wants it to send us over the edge. He wants to take us out in the battle. He wants to remove us as a threat to his host and to his organized spiritual wickedness in high places. And how does he do it? Through doubt. When doubts come, answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Uh, with the Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalm 17 and verse 3 By the Word of Thy lips I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. When Jesus was confronted with the devil and enticed by the devil, He answered the devil with the the Word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. The devil's not going to stay around for that party. He's not going to be a part of that situation. He hates the Word of God. He's afraid of the Word of God. And one reason why he's trying to get you to doubt the Word of God and keep you um, wash in that doubt is because he, he's afraid of it. So give him the Word of God and let the Word of God answer every single doubt you have from Scripture. Let the word of God be the answer. When doubts come, and if you're going to move from doubtful to doubtless, then first of all, you must answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Number two, choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love, not God's love through the lens of your doubts. You said, preacher, what do you mean? Well, just for sake of illustration, I'm going to take the word of God and I'm going to let this be the picture of God's truth and God's love. And sometimes when doubts come, people look at their doubts. I'm going to say my cell phone here is a picture of my doubts. And they look at God's love and God's truth through the lens of their doubts like this. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got some real doubts. (laughs) I'm really uncertain right now. I don't know if I can make any sense out of all this. Oh, yeah, God loves me, by the way. But boy, I've got some real questions, and I've got some real doubts about some situations and some circumstances. But I, I know God loves me, but, but boy, do I have some doubts. Have you ever met someone like that? Don't, you don't have to nod your head, but have you ever been someone like that? Boy, there are times you say, oh, I, I, I've got this thing all, all figured out, or I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to study it real good. And so I study my doubts, and I try to throw my analysis at it, and I try to figure it all out. And I forget that God loves me because I've got my doubts front and center. But what I need to do is switch it, and I need to say, boy, God's so, so good, and His Word is true, and He loves me. And I'm so glad that he loves me. I'm so thankful. Yeah, I've got a few questions, but I know God loves me. Do you see the difference? What a massive difference. What a huge difference. And have you ever met someone like that? They've got every reason in the book to doubt. Every reason in the world to throw up their hands in despair. But boy, they've just got it right. They've got the perspective that they need to have. Uh, just last week, a friend of ours passed away, 43 years old, went to sleep, didn't wake up, died of a heart attack. Jason Walker, pastor in New York City, Brooklyn, New York, longtime pastor. And to see his wife get up with their seven kids yesterday in church and sing the same song that these little kids sang. Wow. I can come to Jesus and Jesus will come to me. Wow, that's powerful. That's somebody that's learning real quick that they've got to put God's love in front and, God, and, and my doubts behind. Uh, we have a friend, Jenny Dietrich. She died 43 years old, 44, something like that. She had cancer. She had four children. Nathan was her husband and a fine pastor. And boy, she gathered the family around. And she said to those kids in a wise move of, of preparing them, she said, I- I'm not struggling with this. She said, I'm embracing this as the will of God. Well, you know, if she struggled with it and she wins the battle there, guess what? It'll be a lot easier for her kids to to win the battle. What is she doing? She's chosen, she chose before she went to heaven to place God's love and God's truth right here and the doubts behind. Because as soon as she saw Jesus, it didn't matter. As soon as she saw Jesus, all the doubts faded away. As soon as she was face-to-face with the one that she'd served and loved and trusted in early on, well, it was all of a sudden everything uh, came into clear view. And, and you know, we, we see through a glass darkly right now. What, what's that out there? This thing of eternity? What's that? We kind of try to peer through the fog and the, and the ice on the window and, and the glass, and it's dark out. We can't quite make out what's up ahead, but we've got the Word of God. And we've got the guarantee of his promises. And we've got his love that we know for a fact is absolute and declared to us from time immemorial. You look at the lens, look at your doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth, not the other way around. So when doubts come and if you're going to move from doubtful to doubtless, you need to answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Number two, you need to choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love, not the other way around. Number three, don't forget what you know. Don't forget what you know. Someone said it this way. Don't doubt in the night what God gave you in the light. Uh, You've come too far. Uh, uh, God's not going to forsake you now. He's not not sitting up in heaven saying, "Uh uh-oh. Oh, I didn't see this. How, how did that happen? Oops. God doesn't say those things. Th- those things don't, don't, don't ever come from the lips of Almighty God. He knows what's going on. He's got a plan from the start to the finish. He knows from the end to the beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega. You can trust in Him. Don't doubt what you know. Don't doubt what you know. Declare, it. yes, I n- don't forget. I know God loves me. Uh, there's no doubt. Long before there was ever a babbling brook and ever uh, a mountain for that brook to fly Flow down and ever rocks in that babbling brook. And long before there was ever a, a ice melt that would create that babbling brook and a, and, a, and a little pond or a mountain lake that would ever be the source of that babbling brook. And long before there were ever mountain flowers and laurel to, to line that babbling brook. And long before there were ever deer to come and drink from its supply. And long before that ever, babbling brook ever rolled into some other river or some other source and rolled down to the ocean. And long before any of it all began, there was a God in heaven that said, I love you, and I'm going to send my son Jesus to die on the cross to solve a sin problem that would be far greater than you could ever solve. God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He is love. We love him because we, because he first loved us, whom having not seen we love, in whom though now we see him not, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Why? Because God loves me. I'm not going to doubt it now. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it. It may not look like it. But it is so. God loves me, I'm not going to doubt that God loves me. Number two, I'm not going to doubt that God's in control. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, does it? Sometimes it seems like this whole world's out of control. spinning wildly out of control and pretty soon it's going to spin right off of its axis. And it seems like nobody really is in, in charge except the evil man. And even the psalmist cried and said this, uh, except I had uh, uh, considered the Lord I, and, and seen the Lord and believed in the Lord and seen His goodness, I, I'd fainted. I'd fainted. And, boy, sometimes we do that. We look around and see all the trouble and the doubt swirl around us. And even in this place, in a Bible-preaching church, there could be someone who's struggling with deep doubt. And maybe it's been going on for a long time, and you don't want to mention it because that'd be the last thing you want to do amongst other Christians. Because, one, you'd make yourself vulnerable. And, two, you might give the impression that you 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 don't have all the answers. <laughs> and that you don't have perfect uh, perfect knowledge. You know, I want to say this, Pastor, the sooner we get over the perfection perception, the better off everybody will be. Because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, we don't have all the answers, we haven't figured it all out, and anybody that pretends that they do is is filled with pride or ignorance. One, it can't be anything but that. And boy, we struggle. Sometimes it's through a season of life uh, of maybe rearing children or sometimes maybe having children or going through loss or difficulty or maybe being betrayed by, by believers or, or, or maybe going through some unexpected circumstance or maybe through intense pain and we say, I just don't think I can go any further and I don't think any of this makes sense and is anybody in control? Yes, there is a God in heaven who's in control and he hasn't seated his throne and he hasn't abdicated his kingship and his lordship of the universe and he knows what's right and he knows what's wrong and he's going to settle the score in the end and he's got everything in your life under control. And you worrying about it for one minute or one hour or one week or one month is an absolute useless waste of time. Watch. Number one, I, I I answer every doubt from the certainty of Scripture. Number two, I choose to view my doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth, not the other way around. Number three, don't forget what you know. You know God loves you. You know God's in control. And let me say this: you know God is good. Shall not, Genesis 18:25. Shall not. Abraham said to the Lord in his intercessory prayer for Lot, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He asked that question because he knew the judge of all the earth would do right. He knew that truly God is good to Israel, even to those that are of an upright and a clean heart. He knew that the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He knew that. He knew that God is good. And and, and he knew that when he pled for his nephew, Don't forget what you know, number four. And now we begin in our text, John chapter 20, verse number 24. Notice again what it says. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. wonder where he was. The Bible doesn't say. Uh, They were gathered together and he wasn't there. wonder where he was. Maybe he was just down to the corner store getting some eggs. Uh, maybe, maybe he was making sure that, that uh, all, of his, uh, all of his livestock was taken care of, if he had any. Maybe he was repairing the barn. Maybe. Maybe he was just like Peter when Peter went fishing and said, I go a fishing. I'm done with it. Number four, when you're moving from doubtful to doubtless, Don't disappear. Don't disappear. Now, someone suggested, and it may be so, that because he was a twin in this time of crisis, he was seeking where his twin was. Seeking comfort. Seeking encouragement. Seeking perspective. That's possible. The fact is, anything that we would postulate is mere conjecture because we don't know. But he's not here. He's not where the 12 are. He's not where he can draw strength and encouragement from them or where he can offer strength and encouragement to them. Maybe he's at a place that he doesn't want to tell. Maybe he's at a place of shame or sin. We don't know where he's at, but he's not here. He's not where he can bring encouragement. Maybe he's thinking, what encouragement would I be? Let me say this. If that's the way you feel, this is where you need to be. He says, preacher, I I can't offer. I'm empty. I don't have anything to offer. This is where you need to be. Because someone here can help fill your cup. By the way, when you come to church, I want to encourage you to help come with a mindset. Whose cup can I fill? Whose heart can I encourage? Who can I smile at? Who can I sit down and talk to? Who can I minister to? Who can I strengthen? Who can I encourage? Who who needs a a note or maybe a a gift card to Walmart or or who needs a gift card to the gas station? Who who needs? I'm coming to church to fill somebody's cup. That ought to be our mindset. So many times we come, we stand, we sing, we sit down, we hear the preaching, We go through the motions and we leave. And we're, excuse me, but we're a little better than Catholics. We just go through the motions. We we need to come with a mindset. I'm coming to encourage, to love, to grow, to pray, to serve, (laughs) to to take it from some nearby signs. I I need to come with a mindset of I'm coming to be a blessing. How can I fill somebody's cup? How can I reach out? It may be just a word. It may just be a a throwing your arm around their shoulder. It may be a listening ear. It may be you you wipe a tear. Whatever it may be, you come with a mindset. If you come and you say, I'm going to be a blessing to someone, then you mark it down. You'll leave if you were empty, filled. Because there's something that fills us when we serve others and when we reach out into our body to the local church and to encourage others. Don't disappear. Don't disappear. You say, preacher, I, I don't have anything to offer. Somebody has something to offer you. And you need them right now. Do you know one of the tricks of the devil is to isolate you? You know, by the way, that's one of the tricks of lions when they hunt. They're watching they're looking, uh, I've seen lions uh, uh, hunt on the prowl and they're hunting a great big herd of impala or a big herd of zebra uh, or a big herd of water buffalo, water buffalo who is a, a lion's mortal enemy, but, but they're looking to find one that is isolated away from the herd, away from the crowd. And the devil thinks you can, tries to convince you, you think you can handle it on your own. I got this. I, I know. Look here. I know where I'm at. I've been preaching long enough to know Montana. I know the mindset of independent Montanans that say, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I don't need you and I'll be fine just the way I am. I've got it. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you're about to fall into a pile of of shambles. Maybe you need to get down on your knees. Maybe you need to make yourself vulnerable and in testimony time, instead of giving praise, say, I just could really use some prayer right now because I don't think I'm going to make it you hear what i'm saying and just be real and honest i'm not saying you have to do that all the time but it sure would would you know what's going to happen the same thing that happens to your body when an infection comes your immune system kicks in and attacks the enemy and you know what's going to happen when you become vulnerable and say i'm not feeling so well boy the devil i mean the devil is is in a dangerous place because the rest of the crowd is going to say oh yeah yeah, I've seen it. I've seen pictures and videos of lions hunting water buffalo. And I watched one recently where where the water buffalo, that they, they came back for a little calf that had been in the jaws of a lion. And they surrounded that lion and attacked it and killed it. Wow. Well, that's what happens when, when there's a need. And we know there's a need. And we know someone's struggling. Don't disappear. Don't disappear. Uh, number f- Number 5. Not only should we when, when doubts come, not only when we're trying to move from doubtful to doubtless, should we answer every doubt from the certainty with the certainty of scripture. Choose to view our doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth instead of the other way around. Not forget what we know that God loves me and God's in control and that God is good. Number 4, we should not disappear, but number 5, be careful what you say. Don't you think Thomas later would regret that he said that? And don't you think he would especially regret that John wrote it down? (laughs) Now, I know John wrote it down under inspiration, so it's really not John. But but boy, don't you think that he would regret that? I think there are a lot of people in the Bible that regretted something that they said. Hmm? I think Job's wife probably regretted that she said, curse God and die, although she had plenty of her own struggles but it was written down in the Holy Writ. It was written down in the sacred text. I think Yodius and, and Syntyche regretted that they were called out publicly by Paul in Philippians chapter four because they were having a fight over whose casserole got eaten and the other ones didn't at the potluck, but maybe, you, you know, I think, I think that they, they were a little bit upset. Whatever they were fighting about, I guarantee it, now we're going to be remembered forever like that. right. Huh. Yeah, just be careful. what you, We should always be careful what we say. But are you listening? We should especially be careful what we say when we're swirling in doubt. When we're hurting. Mm. When you're hurting, that's not a time to talk. It's a time to be quiet until the hurt heals. Because if I'm not careful and I'm hurting, I must realize hurt people, hurt people. And oh, how I need to be guarding of my lips. He says when they come, what? Thomas, you won't believe what happened. We, 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 heard, da- we heard rumor. We, we heard Mary t- came and told us we should have believed Mary Magdalene. She, he appeared to Mary first. And, and then those two that were on the road uh, to Emmaus, they, they came back and they said they, they said that uh, that it was that, that, that Jesus was there and Jesus appeared to them and we should have believed them. And John and Peter, they went and they, they saw the empty tomb. We should have believed him. He's alive. We saw him. He came in our midst. He showed himself to us. He said, peace be unto us too he said as my father sent me so send I you he breathed on us and said receive you the Holy Ghost and he showed us his hands and his side Thomas we saw him we saw him and look at what Thomas says verse number 25 he said unto them except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side I will not believe wow be careful what you say I, 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 I'm glad that we know Thomas struggled. I'm glad that Thomas struggled, and I'm glad that the, vocal, uh, the the verbal declaration of his struggle is here in the sacred text. I'm not glad for Thomas, but I'm glad for me, because it shows me sometimes I struggle, and sometimes the devil comes at me, and sometimes I don't have my shield of faith up, and sometimes the darts get through, and sometimes I have my own, uh, my own questions. He says, I will not believe a oh, boy. I guarantee you all through his ministry, he would look back at that moment in time and wish he just hadn't said anything. Notice verse, verse number 26. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. <laughs> Maybe Thomas said, uh, guys, when's the next meeting? <laughs> Maybe Thomas said, uh, what time is it Again? Uh, I just want to make sure I'm not late. Uh, I just want to make sure I don't miss it this time. Maybe Thomas was with him for that reason. But remember this, uh, when you're moving from doubtful to doubtless, and when doubts come, remember Jesus Christ is the God of a second chance. I think Thomas knew this. Thomas was there. Thomas was witness. Notice John chapter 20 and verse 26. After eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The door is being shut. That means he just, he walked right in. He can get in even when the doors are shut. And stood in the midst and said, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. (laughs) Where were you? Thomas, I heard you've been talking about me. No. He said, peace be unto you. He's a God of the second chance. He wants to bring us peace. He wants to bring doubting Thomas peace. He wants to bring a disciple who was struggling and who was missing and who was gone. He wants to bring him peace. He wants to bring that disciple who's doubting answers and clarity and conviction. He says, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, watch. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand. And thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. (laughs) In other words, Jesus accommodated his request. Do you have any doubts now, Thomas? In another portion of Scripture, when Jesus appeared to him, he sat down and they were all probably pale as a ghost. Like they'd seen a ghost. And he says, wait, wait, wait. Hey, where's the fish and chips you just got from Long John Silvers? And he ate some fish. And he said, uh, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Yeah. Wow, touch me. Handle me. See, I'm, th- this wasn't Jesus' ghost. This wasn't Jesus' spirit. Uh, this was Jesus' body. I was talking to a young man. I, I'll maybe share the testimony a little bit later down in Dillon where we were at recently. And, and I was there in Dillon. This family had experienced great difficulty. This young man had, uh, his dad had died in July. And I find out from his mom that his dad had actually committed suicide and and they were from San Diego, California. And she was tired of, of dealing with all the craziness in California. So she bought a truck and a camper cover. And she came all the way up here to Montana to look for land and broke down right outside of Dillon. Been there for a week or two or I don't know, very long. She bought another truck and brought another trailer. They're trying to live off the grid, grid and look for property. And they would be in the same campground as an evangelist. And he would hang out with our kids and... and uh, I began to talk to him. Well, I knew from some of the things that I'd heard that they were involved in some kind of Eastern religion and come to find out it was so. But, you know, I was witnessing to Silas because we were leaving that Saturday. And I said, Silas, Jesus Christ died and rose again. He said, yeah, I've heard about him. And I, I heard that he just he just reincarnated. I said, no, Silas. I said, he didn't reincarnate. He resurrected. <laughs> I said, he, he said, he said, Wow. I didn't know that. I've been praying. You pray with me for Silas that God would save him. Look here. That's what Jesus did. This is Jesus. It literally physically bodily rose from the dead. And if he didn't literally physically bodily rise from the dead, then he's a fake and a phony. You mark that down. So here Jesus literally physically bodily rose from the dead. And he says, Thomas, put, put your finger here. And maybe when he did, Jesus smiled. <laughs> he said, put your hand, thrust it up into my side. It's me. Right here, in flesh and bone. And and as he says this, he's giving Thomas a second chance. Look at our text, verse number 25 or 27. He says, be not faithless, but believing. Watch this. Verse 28, Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. By the way, this is a good passage to share with the Jehovah's Witness that don't like to claim Jesus as God. My Lord and my God. And you can show it to them from their translation of the Holy Scriptures. That's exactly what they say. And so, what's Thomas doing? Number seven, when you're moving from doubtful to doubtless, and when doubts come, don't doubt forever. Move quickly from doubt to faith certainty. My Lord and my God. Look what Jesus said, verse number 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, blessed because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You know who that is? That's us. Jesus says blessed are those that haven't seen we haven't seen whom having not seen we love the Bible says seeing him who is invisible we haven't laid our eyes on him but we believe every word in this book we believe that he's true we believe that he's real we believe that he died we believe that he was buried we believe that he rose again and we believe he's coming to get us soon wow he he, in other words he didn't stay doubtful forever he didn't stay there forever he moved quickly from doubt to faith certainty I want you to notice number eight and finally when doubts come and when you're moving from doubtful to doubtless, I I want you to think of this. Know that when you fall at Jesus' feet and worship Him He'll use you again. He'll use you again. You may have gone through a veil of doubt. You may go gone through a day of darkness. You may have struggled in your own heart. You may have done so quietly. You may have declared it openly. You may have struggled in, in a in a way that has sh- sh- shook the faith of others. But the truth of the matter is if you'll move from doubt to faith certainty and you fall at Jesus' feet and worship Him, He'll use you again. You know what they tell us about Thomas? Thomas would go all the way from here. Israel to India, preaching the gospel along the way. Wow. They tell us about Thomas that he would preach and people would be saved. And did you know this? That many believers in India, when they give a Christian name to their sons, many times it's Thomas. That's two centuries after he walked on this planet. He's still being named. He's still being honored. He's still being remembered. Wow. They tell us that he was stabbed with a spear in India during one of his missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. He's taking the gospel to another continent, not just to the Middle East, but to the Far East. And he's still held in veneration today. Not doubtful, but doubtless. Somebody that's doubtful doesn't jeopardize their life, hazard their life for a myth. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. Why, why are we standing in jeopardy every hour? Thomas moved from doubtful to doubtless. And he became used of God. And so can you. Would you bow with me and heads, bowed eyes, closed, Father?